Welcome to the Northside Church Podcast. We want to thank you for listening to this message today. Our prayer is that this message blesses your heart and that you're encouraged, inspired, and uplifted by God's Word. If you would like to know more about Northside Church, visit our website today at northsidechurch.co. Let's get into the message. Well, good morning. Good to see you. We're thankful that you're here. For the remainder of October and the rest of November, we are going to be studying a subject that I don't think I've ever taught on in this church, and that is the subject of the Holy Spirit of God. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 13, verses 31 and verse 32. John chapter number 13, verses 31 and 32. And the, the title, as we are back in the Gospel of John, for this study that's going to take us to uh, our Christmas time in December, is The Helper. The Helper. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the real thing. The real thing. Now, I'm not going to give you all of this this morning, there's so much here that I want to give you, but we're going to take this in small little bites so we can wrap our minds around it. It's going to lead us into the study of the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. When he had gone out, or it should read, therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Father, bless the reading of your word and may you honor your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The real thing. I was one year old when this commercial first aired. There was a search to rebrand a soft drink in the 70s. It all started in London. The London fog in the 70s uh, was responsible for this slogan. Bill Backer, the creative director of this soft drink company, of Aver- and, and another gentleman by the name of Erickson of the Advertising Aging, flew to London and met with a man by the name of Billy Davis. He was the music director for the account on this soft drink company. The London fog forced the plane to land in Shannon, Ireland, and passengers had to remain there in the airport as, until the fog lifted. Some of them were furious about their accommodations, but by the next day, Backer saw some of the most irritated passengers in the airport cafe. They were brought together by a common experience. Many of them were laughing, sharing stories over snacks and bottles of Coca-Cola. And this is the jingle. It's the real thing. How many of you remember that commercial? It's what the whole world wants today is the real thing. The real thing most controversial, most misunderstood doctrine in the Christian faith is that of the Holy Spirit of God. 
as believers, we will never fully appreciate and neither will we fully appropriate the work of the Holy Spirit in our life until I understand the central constituent of Christianity. In other words, what is Christianity? What does it mean to be Christian? I will never appropriate, nor will I ever appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Christianity is not a passive existence. But it is a life lived within the parameters of a growing relationship with God. And this is only possible by and through the help of the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 14 verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. Let me set the context and the setting up of where we're at. We are in the upper room discourse. John 13 all the way to John chapter 16. Jesus is given a vivid example of what true servanthood is by washing the disciples' feet. Jesus exposed the betrayer in verses 18 through 29. And Jesus, uh, Judas excuses himself from the supper and gets the ball rolling. And Jesus now gives evidence of what authentic discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And Jesus gives that evidence in verses 31 to 35. And then in verse 36 to 38 we have this eye-opening reality for Peter that Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny the Lord. They knew Jesus was going to die. They were having a hard time kind of dealing with this reality, hard time processing upper room discourse. I want you to note some of the emotional tones that are in this this, this upper room discourse. If you look with me in verse number 1 of chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled, he said. Let not your heart be troubled. Look in verse 27 of chapter number 14. Peace I I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Verse number 6 of chapter 16. Flip over to chapter 16 and look what the Bible says in verse number 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Frightened, anxious, bewildered, full of fear. Their faith teetering, hanging by a thread. Jesus was leaving. They were having a hard time dealing with this. In the midst of this uncertainty, in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this fear and this weak faith, Jesus discloses and declares promises in the midst of their perplexity. Look what he says to him. I promise you that greater works will follow when I leave this world. In John chapter 14 verse 12. Then he said, I promise you that I will hear and answer your prayers when I'm gone. John chapter 14 verses 13 and 14. Jesus promised that I'm going to make you a home. I'm going to prepare you a place. And where I am you will be also. He made that promise, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And then he made this promise in John chapter 16. I will see you through every difficulty when I leave this world. 
But the promises of all promises, John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 16, 17, verse 18, verse 26, John chapter 16, verse 7, he said, I promise you this, I'm going to send you some help. I'm going to send you some help. I'm going to hear your prayers. I'm going to go make a home for you. I'm going to see you through every difficulty you're facing. Greater works than these will you do when I leave and go back to the Father. And what's really great is I'm going to send you help. I'm going to leave you as orphans. I will not leave you without help in this world. You see, Jesus is not setting down rules to be followed. Jesus is giving promises to rest in and responsibilities that would define what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. How do I know that I have and that I am living out the real thing? How do I know I have the real thing? There's two indicators which give substantial evidence to the real thing. They kind of fall under two Headings, and that's what we're going to give to you this morning. You see, what the world needs is people, real people, changed people, broken people, flawed people, but saved people, and transformed people living for Jesus the real way. Just like the Coca-Cola commercial, this is what the world needs, the real thing. This is what the world needs, church. People, broken people, flawed people, saved people, transformed people, God's people living for Jesus the real way. Are you the real thing? Are you living the real thing? Do you have the real thing? I know that I have and I know that I'm living the real thing, number one. And this is the only point we're going to get to today because it's enough. When I am preoccupied with the glory of God. Did you catch what he said in verse 31 of chapter 13? If you're there, just look with me. When he had gone out, you see it there. Or therefore, if you look back up in verse 21 down through verse 30. Jesus drops a bomb on these men. He said, one of you are going to betray me. And of course, all of them are like, is it me? Is it me? Is it I? Is it us? Is it? And they're trying to figure it out. And Jesus, in one of the Gospels, says, it's the one who dips his hand with me to sop. And Jesus exposes who his betrayer is, and it's Judas. And Judas excuses himself from supper to get the ball rolling. Therefore, he said, verse 31, when he had gone out, look at me, by this time tomorrow, Jesus would be dead. But see, Jesus here in chapter 13 is not focusing on agony. Jesus is focusing on glory. He's not focusing on agony and death and suffering. He's focusing on glory. He's preoccupied with glory. You see, by this time tomorrow, he'll be dead. But by this time tomorrow, he'll be back in the glory that he laid aside when he came to die. He's occupied with glory. With glory. What is glory? 
We talk about it. We just got through singing about glory. What is glory? We talk about it all the time. We sing about it all the time. We put it in our prayers. But do we really know what glory is? I know I have the real thing. I know I'm living out the real thing when I'm preoccupied with glory. But do I know what glory is? It comes from a Greek word doxa, meaning a correct opinion or estimation of somebody. It carries the idea of a reputation somebody has. It's derived from the English word orthodox. It's it's correct believing in something. It's a high opinion about a noble person of a great renown and reputation. It indicates honor due to a person that has high standing. Let's go back and just unpack this definition, and I want to ask you a few questions. Number one, do you have the correct opinion about God? Because if you have the correct opinion about God, and you have the correct estimation about God, then you're all about glory. Let me ask you another question. His reputation. Do you have the correct belief about God? Are you more worried about your reputation than God's reputation? Because if you're more worried about God's reputation more than your reputation, you're all about glory. If you, my friend, believe how you ought to believe about God, you're all about glory. If you have a high opinion about God and a low opinion of yourself, He must increase and I must decrease. You're about glory. You're preoccupied with glory. Do you give Him honor that's due to Him? Because He is an outstanding God. You're all about glory. Jesus here is preoccupied with glory. A great God deserves great honor. The greater the person, the greater He is to be revered. You believe God's great? You believe God's good? You ought to be about glory. Every person in this church that claims the name of Christ, you ought to be preoccupied with glory. If you want to know that you have the real thing and that you're living the real thing, you ought to be about glory. God's glory. Christ's glory. Did you catch what he said in verse 31? Look with me again. Chapter 13. Let's just let the text speak to us this morning. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And look what else it says. And God is glorified in Him. Did you catch that? Glory. Let's distinguish what glory means. We know what it means. Doxa. What I believe about God. My estimation about God. The rank God holds in my life. Giving to Him what is due to Him. The greater the person, the greater the reverence is to be given to God. But what do we really distinguish about glory? There's different aspects of glory that you and I must understand and and, and to comprehend if we're going to be about glory. If you're a child of God this morning and you're not about glory, you need to get right with God. We have made our Christian walk more about us than we have about the God of heaven that has saved us. And that's not about glory. Glory is about Him. Glory is about Him. Glory is about Him. It's all about Him. 
Glory is. Worship's not about you. It's about Him. The Bible's not about you. It's about Him. Life is about, not about you. It's about Him. It's about glory. And if I want the real thing and I'm living the real thing and I have the real thing, I'm occupied with glory. His glory, not mine. His. First of all, I want you to note apparent glory. Intrinsic glory. The sum and substance of all that God is. The whole of God's being. God's perfection as it's found in His attributes. Did you notice what verse 31 said? Let the text speak to you. And God is glorified in Him. Let me make this statement on what we're dealing with in verse 31. We are on the precipice of Christ's dying for the sins of the whole world. We are on the verge. We are on the doorstep of redemption being opened up to whosoever will. And here Jesus is and He said, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in Him. The cross emanates with the glory of God. Nothing in all of history from before there ever was anything created has anything, any event bring, bring more glory to God than the cross. You see, at the cross, I, I realize that God is a God of love. At the cross, I realize that God is a God of mercy. At the cross, I realize that God is a God of grace. I realize at the cross that God is a wise God. God is an omnipotent God. God is an omnipresent God. And God is an omniscient God. You want to see who God is? You look at the Son of Man lifted between heaven and earth, dying for the sins of the world, and you'll see who God is. 1 John 14, in this is love. What John said. In this. What is the this? Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God, but God demonstrated His own love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstration of God. But God demonstrated His love. How did He do it? By dying for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. At the cross, we learn about the power of God. Colossians chapter 2, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of degrees against us, everything that was against us, Everything that was against us, every charge, every indictment that heaven could bring against you and me, which was hostile to us, was wanting to destroy us and, and kill us. He, he alone has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Every offense that you have ever committed has been nailed to the tree that Jesus hung on. That's power. Look at this. And when he had disarmed the rulers 
and the authorities. He made a public display of them having triumphed over them. Let me tell you something. When Jesus cried, it is finished, hell trembled because they knew they were defeated. God's power is seen at the cross. Listen, He has a power to take somebody and change them and make them a nobody into somebody and take all that they have ever done and nail it to a tree. We learned about the justice of God on the cross. First Corinthians, I mean, Romans chapter, I mean, First Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Can I tell you something? Somebody had to die for sin. Thank God it wasn't you. But it was him. He who knew no sin. God made him to be sin. That's justice. Justice is not giving you what you deserve, but instead not giving you what you deserve. You see, my friend, he gave it to his son. Now, here's what else we learn at the cross. We learn about the holiness of God at the cross. Psalms chapter 22, verses 1 and 3. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry day and night, but you do not answer. It's a messianic psalm, and he said this. And by night I have no rest when the darkness engulfed Calvary. This is why God could not look at his son. This is why God turned his back on Jesus. This is why God allowed his son to become sin. Verse 3, you are holy. You cannot look upon sin. You cannot look upon transgressions. You cannot look upon iniquity. So God turned his back on his son and turned his face towards us. Calvary emanates with glory. Look what Jesus said in verse 31. You got your Bibles open. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now. Not only is there apparent glory, but then there's ascribed glory. This is a rightful response to beholding God's apparent glory. When I stand in awe of God, I give back to Him glory. When I see His glory, I respond in glory. When I understand who God is, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of long-suffering, a God of patience, an omniscient God, an omnipresent God, an omnipotent God, a, a, a forgiving God, a God who can and a God who will and a God who wants to and a God who created everything and all that we see with our eyes. When I see that glory, I return glory for glory. It's all about glory, church. If you're preoccupied with glory, you've got the real thing. You're living the real thing if you're all about glory. But you've got to get occupied with God before you can become occupied with glory. You've got to get a good eye, bird's eye view of who God is before you really understand what it means to give Him glory. Glory! You say, how do I know I'm saved? You're all about glory. You're all about glory. You get up in the morning, it's about glory. You go to bed at night, you wonder, did I give Him glory? You go throughout the day and you say, did I glorify Him? That's when you know you got the real thing. It's not whether or not whether you feel like you're saved. It don't matter how you feel, but is it about glory? His glory. But how about ascribed glory? The more I see and the more I know about God, the more I give to God glory. 
said, Now is the Son of Man text. Let's let our text speak to us. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. God is glorified in him. There's a, there's a scribe glory. Here's a scribe glory. Look, I want you to flip over with me to John 17. You want to see what a scribe glory looks like? John 17, this high priestly prayer of Jesus. Look what it says here. Verse number 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Look at me. We're on the doorstep of the greatest event of all history. The Son of Man dying for the sins of the world. We're on the, we're on the verge of it. Judas has got the ball rolling, man. Right? And Jesus said in verse 1, the hour's come. What does he say? Glorify your son, that the son may ascribe back to you what? Say it, glory. Look what he said in verse 2. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, something Adam lost in the garden, to give eternal life to all who may have that all you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Having accomplished the work that you have gave me to do. Look what verse 5 said. And now. This clearly sounds like verse 31 of chapter 13, right? And now. And now. Let me look at me real quick. I don't want you to miss this this morning. Can I give you just a teachable moment? Calvary is not about the goriness, but it's about the gloriness. Don't get hung up in the goriness of Calvary. Get hung up in the gloriness of it. It's all about glory. Don't get hung up in the nails. Don't get hung up in the crown of thorns. Don't get hung up in the bloodied body of our Savior. Don't get hung up in the two pieces of wood that he hung on. Don't get hung up in spears piercing him in the side. Don't get hung up on his seven sayings that he did. It wasn't about that. Let me tell you what. It's not about the goriness of Calvary. It's about the gloriness of Calvary. Calvary emanates with God's glory. It's radiant with it, although it was the goriest thing you'll ever see with human eyes. In the ugliness, God gets glory. I don't know, that might be for somebody this morning, but in the ugliness, God gets glory. Do you see what verse number 5 said of chapter 17? And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. God, Jesus said, I'm not worried about agony right now. I'm worried about glory. I'm worried about glorifying the Father, and then I, just this time tomorrow I'll be sitting in the glory that I laid aside for the sins of this world. Amen. You're not worried about it. This time tomorrow I'll be dead. But this time tomorrow I'll be seated at the right hand of the Father, being worshipped by the angels of heaven as a Savior of the world. Eight hours of agony. Three days being stuck in a tomb. And the third day when he got up, he got up. Going back to glory. Listen to me, church. I want you to look with me. In the book of Romans. Chapter 11. You know you got the real thing. Romans chapter 11. You know you got the real thing. You know you are living the real thing. When your life is all about what? Say it. 
I, need, I, I don't have my hearing aids yet. I could not hear you. It's all about glory. I don't care what these modern preachers say about how it looks to be a Christian. I'm going to tell you how it looks to be a Christian. Your life radiates with glory. His glory. His glory. His glory. If you've been to Calvary, you get a little glory on you. If you've been to Calvary and you've knelt at that blood-stained cross, you get a little glory on you. Amen. Something different about you. You look different. You walk different. You talk different. You have a different attitude. Your heart's different. You got a little spring in your step. You got a little song in your heart. You got some joy that this world can't give. You got a peace that passes all understanding. When you've been to Calvary, you get a little glory on you. Amen. It kind of washes over you. And you kind of begin to look different and smell different and act different and talk different because of glory, that the glory of God is on your life. Come on, somebody. It's all about glory. Look what Romans chapter 11 verse 36 says. This is a great text. Look at me real quick. If you want a Christian worldview, and you better have one. If you don't have one, shame on you as a believer. Because if you're interpreting this world and this culture through the eyes and the lens of something else besides the Bible, boy, you got a wrong perspective the way things are going to turn out. You better get you a biblical worldview. Amen. If you don't get nothing else before you draw your last breath, you better be able to view everything God's doing from his perspective, his vantage point, and not yours. And especially not Fox News. Nor social media, but from God. What does God say about the way things are going? How does God say things are going to turn out? What's God doing in this mess that we're living in right now? Anybody ever ask that? Look at verse 36 said, chapter 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. And he ends it with what? All God's people said, Amen. To him, from him, to him, all things for his glory. Say it, people. Amen. That's your biblical worldview. There it is. That there. Now look with me. From him. Eternity past. Eternity past. Before there ever was anything. From him. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God. God is the first cause of all causes, amen. God is the primary cause of all causes, amen. It all starts with God, from God. Y'all don't mind if I preach a little bit this morning, do you? From God, it said. You didn't have nothing to do with it. Your mom and daddy didn't have nothing to do with it. It's all about God, from God. Then what it says, through him. Can I tell you something this morning, church? Great spot for an amen. God never fails. It's through Him. You say, how am I going to make it? Through Him. How are we going to make it, church? Through Him. How am I going to get through this situation? How am I going to get through this valley? How am I going to get through this storm? Through Him. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What are you talking about, man? I'm talking about going through. I'm not stopping. I'm not staying. I'm not pitching a tent. I'm going through. How are you going to make it? Through Him. God never fails. Everything will turn out just the way God said it would. Amen? You don't have to second guess it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to scratch your head. You don't have to be full of anxiety and worry. Because guess what? God never fails. Then look what the Bible says. To Him. Can I tell you something? God does everything in order to do what? Point it back to Him. Point it back to Him. You say, you don't know what I'm going through. It ain't about what you're going through. It's about who it's pointing to. And if God sees fit to put us through it, to point to himself for the sake of what? Glory. God said, hey, guess what? You're going to make it through because I never fail. To him. Romans 8. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To him be glory forever. Let me tell you something. Glory didn't stop at the cross, y'all. Glory did not stop at an empty tomb, y'all. Glory did not stop on the Mount of Olives when he was going back to the Father and to assume his position as a high priest. That's not where glory stopped. You see, what you need to understand this morning is this. Glory is eternal. Glory is transcendent. Glory is forever. Did that know what our verse said? To Him be glory forever. Can I tell you something? Creation declares His glory. The creation, heavens are telling of the glory of God. Jesus declared the glory of God. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Can I tell you something? Heaven sings about His glory. Revelation chapter 5 verse 12 saying with a loud voice worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They sing about his glory. They're still singing about his glory. We'll be singing about his glory. And get this. You and I are heading to a city that revolves around glory. We're heading to a place that revolves around glory. We don't need the sun. We've got the glory. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 21, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me this holy city, John said. The holy Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's all about glory, y'all. Amen? Nothing brings more glory to God than Jesus. What did he say? You're back in our text. We're going to let the text speak to us. Right? Y'all tracking this morning? Y'all awake? It's all about glory. Amen? It's all about glory. Look what he said, verse 31. When he had gone out. We're just studying two verses, y'all. When he had gone out, look what he said. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Let me make this statement. Nothing brings more glory than Jesus. And nothing brings more glory to God than the cross of Jesus. Jesus and the cross radiate with glory. Glory. Now, what does it say here? 
if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once or immediately. What does he mean by that? Well, just in a few hours. Guess what's going to happen? God's fixing to glorify me, Jesus said, at once, immediately. What does he mean by that? I'm fixing to die. The cross radiates with glory. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you make much of Jesus with your life? Is your life about Jesus? Man, I tell you what, if you come to church this morning and you're hoping and praying that life is about you and God's about you and Jesus is about you and the worship's about you, you need to get a different perspective on life. Because you're about making much about Jesus. It's about Him. Your trials are His trials. They're about Him. Your storms are His storms. They're about Him. Listen, when them disciples were in a storm, they couldn't even save themselves. It was about Jesus walking on water, not them bailing themselves out of a storm. Everything you go through is about Him. Are you making much of Jesus? Is your life radiating with glory? Is your life making much of Jesus? If it's not, you need to be in an altar praying that God, would you shift this thing and make it more about you and less about me? See, the problem is we live such a self-centered, self-focused life. And we wonder why our Christianity is dead. That's why you walk in here dead and you sit here dead and you worship's dead. Your life's dead because it's all about you. It's not about somebody that's living. It's about somebody that's dead. I I want my life to be about somebody that's alive and his name is Jesus. Amen? That's why you're a dead husband because your life as a husband is all about you and not about glory. That's why wives, you're dead because it's not about you. It's about, I mean, it's all about you. It's not about one who's. What? Alive? That's Jesus. Let me tell you, that's why, you go, that's why we go to dead churches because it's all about the people that's sitting in the pews. There's no, there's no vertical. There's no, my friend, up and down perspective. It's all about horizontal. And my friend, let me tell you something. There's no hope here. There's no life here. There's no glory here. When I get a different view of Him, my worship will be different. My life will be different. I'll love different. I'll be kind to people. I won't gripe at them when they won't get out of my way at Walmart. It'll be about glory. Well, God, you must want me to sit here for a minute. I think I'll just contemplate how wonderful you are. We're missing it, church. He said, if you want the real thing, men, before I leave, let me tell you what the real thing's about. It's about glory. Don't be sitting around licking your wounds because I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to hear your prayers. I'm going to get you through it. I'm going to send you help. Don't worry. But is it about glory? Right? You people that work, that have a a job, have a career, let me ask you something. When you get up and you walk into that office and you interact with the people that you're around, is it about glory? Are you just getting what you need to get so you can get ahead? Because that ain't about glory. Right? Amen. It's about, it, hey, listen, it's about glory. Let me finish with this. Nothing brings more glory than Jesus. It's an indispensable that our lives be about Jesus. You know what your purpose of existence is? Glory. You know what your salvation is about? Glory. You know what your past is about? Glory. You do, do you know what our present's about? Glory. You know what our future's about? Glory. Whether then you eat or drink, Paul said, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 
You know what he said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21? To him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. Let me tell you something. Nothing really matters in life but God's glory. Oh, my friend, listen to me. I cannot be preoccupied with popularity. All I need to know is that Jesus is popular. I can't be preoccupied whether I'm being honored in life. All that matters is is Jesus being honored with my life. I can't be preoccupied with this stuff, my friend, of my life, my happiness, my joy, my contentment. I'm getting bigger and better things. I'm accumulating and getting it all for me. Man, I can't be about what my life's about. My life has to be about what? Jesus, amen. Glory to God. Glorifying God. It doesn't matter if you're popular, you're honored, you're liked. It don't matter. It's Jesus liked. It's Jesus honored. It's Jesus, my friend, popular. That's what matters, amen. It doesn't matter if you've got 1,000 likes on social media. What matters is do they like Jesus when you come around? That's what matters. It's all about glory. If your life ain't about glory, you're missing it this morning. And you need to get where God can do something in your heart. It's got to be about glory. 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 You ought to wake up every morning and make much of Jesus every day. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Father, it's all about your glory. Ascribed glory. Accepted glory, glory. God, help us this morning in this church to be like Moses. Lord, show me your glory. Father, I pray that when we leave this church, we would radiate with God's glory. We'd go eat, we would radiate with God's glory. We'd go to the store, we would radiate with God's glory. If God, listen, to God be glory in the church, Father, if it's not true. Oh, God, I pray today that we would repent, that we would ask you to forgive us, that we would crawl in an altar and weep because it's been about us and not about you. Oh, God, break our hearts, break our spirits, break our wills, that be conformed to glory. God, if there's people here today that's not been to Calvary, that have not knelt at the precious foot of Jesus, given their hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, I pray today that they would settle that thing right now. Settle it, settle it forever. That their lives will be about glory. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, I'll ask you a very important question to me very carefully. If you're here this morning, listen to me very carefully. If you're here this morning and you've never, ever in your life trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and given your life to Him as your Lord, can I ask you this question? What's what's stopping you? Why would you not want glory on your life? Would you be willing just to say, Scott, would you pray for me this morning? Would you just pray for me, Scott? Just lift your hand up and drop it back down. Just pray for me, Scott. Just pray for me. I see that hand. I see those hands. Scott, pray for me. My life ain't about glory. Why don't you find a place in this altar, church, and say, Lord, let it be about you again. Let my life revolve around you again. Let my home revolve around you again. Let my job revolve. Let it all be about glory for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, you come.